It's good to see everyone this morning, and we're going to do something that uh, I think is very appropriate for this moment right now, and that is, um, one, praising God for all that He is doing in this church. Um, I think during that song, Awesome, I think almost have my own private rapture right there. Um, it seemed like it just kept getting stronger and stronger, and then the last song, just fall on my knees and cry holy. Again, I've shared this before. Don't ever get used to being in awe of what God does in worship. We are unbelievably blessed in this church. So many times people send me emails. I've mentioned those before. Sometimes they're funny. And um, I actually want to talk about those for just a moment here. And uh, that is people send me some funny emails. I really appreciate that. I feel like we need a little bit of extra humor in our lives. And so here's my policy. I actually have a policy. I have a policy about most things, but I also have them about funny emails. So here's my policy. If somebody sends me a funny email and it is not funny in like the first two lines, I hit the delete button and I move on with my life. Um, life is too short to read non-funny, funny emails. Now, if it is marginally funny, then I will finish reading it, and then I will hit the delete button. And uh, I feel like life is too short to keep for myself or to pass along marginally funny emails. But if it's actually funny, I will not only read the whole thing, I will save it, file it away, and there's a really good chance it's going to show up in a message somewhere. <laughs> as is the case this morning. So I received an email entitled, Things About Kids That All Parents Should Know. And this one made me laugh, so here it is for you. It says, for those who already have children past this age, this is hilarious. For those who have children nearing this age, this is a warning. For those of you who have no children, you may decide to remain that way. The following came from an anonymous mom in Austin, Texas. It says, things I've learned from my children. Number one, a king-size waterbed holds enough water to fill a 2,000-square-foot house two inches deep. <laughs> Number two, a three-year-old's voice is louder than 200 adults in a crowded restaurant. Number three, if you hook a dog leash over a ceiling fan... The motor is not strong enough to rotate a 42-pound boy wearing a Batman underwear and a Superman cape. It is strong enough to hit a baseball through a double-pane glass window. Number four, when you hear the toilet flush in the words, uh-oh, it's already too late. Number five, a six-year-old can start a fire with flint rock even though a 36-year-old man says they can only do that in the movies. <laughs> Closely connected to number six, the fire department in Austin has a five-minute response time. <laughs> number seven, certain Legos pass through di the digestive tract of a four-year-old with ease. Number eight, no matter how much jello you put in a swimming pool, you still can't walk on water. Closely connected with number nine, pool filters do not like jello. Now, here's my favorite, number 10. The spin cycle on a washing machine does not make earthworms dizzy. It will, however, make a cat dizzy. And FYI, dizzy cats can throw up twice their body weight. 
So I don't know if you all have ever noticed, but when there's a new family before they have kids, people will tell them the same things. Your life will never be the same. Have you ever noticed they don't elaborate on that? <laughs> what do you mean will never be the same as they smirk and walk off with a sinister laugh? You'll see. Now, as a parent, I guarantee you'll say the same thing that I'm going to say. I love being a parent. Wouldn't change it for anything in the world. Love being able to spend time with my family. And I hear families, Christian families specifically, all the time to say the same thing. I love my kids. I love my family. I love the opportunity that God has given. But so many times it seems like life is going so fast that it's just hard to stop and focus on the things that really matter. When it seems like you, you wake up in the day and you're dealing with, you know, going to school and ball practice and you're cleaning food off the wall and, and you're picking up toys around the house and you're dislodging your iPhone from the kitchen disposal, it seems like you just kind of work through the day. And by the time you get to the end of your day, you're tired and you're drained and sometimes you're upset and many times you don't even know where to begin when it comes to discipling and training your kids. It's, like, it's not that you don't want to. It's just like, where do you work it in? How do you do it? What's the first step? Like, when you're a parent, and especially a parent with multiple children, stuff just keeps happening throughout the day. So if you've ever wondered, how do I train my children to love God in the mix of a of a life that is hectic and fast-paced? How do I take the time to value the moments, to invest where the time needs to be invested so that I'm able to do the things that are the most important to me? If you've ever asked that question, this morning, I believe, is going to be a part of God's answer in your life. Today is week number three in our Equip series. It's an entire series that's focused on how do we equip believers for every stage of life so that they can live as faithful disciples of Christ regardless of where God has them along the journey. And we've also talked about the fact that discipleship is primarily to happen in the home. That's why so much of our focus is how we can make the home conducive to training disciples and making disciples and teaching our kids what it looks like to follow Jesus with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength. Today we're talking about how do you develop a discipleship plan for your home? How can you intentionally disciple, here it is, your kids and your grandkids? When they're children, when they're teenagers, when they're going into the college years, even afterwards, when they're out on their own, maybe they're 30, 35, 40, 45, they got children of their own. How do you continue to pour into your kids and your grandkids over the course of a lifetime to help them know what it looks like to love Jesus and to follow him with all of their heart, mind, and soul? So this morning, we're going to get into how do you develop that plan? How do you lay the foundational pieces? How do you work it so that even with the adjustments of life, it doesn't derail the plan? How do you build in the steps early on that you're going to be building on for years and years to come? So this morning, we're going to get into this idea from a very general text. It's one that is found over in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter number 6. We'll be in verses 4 through 9 today. And we're going to see how general instructions for helping people love God with all their heart, mind, and soul 
can also provide some incredible specific instructions for what it looks like to develop a working discipleship plan for your family. So I'm talking today about developing a discipleship plan. And by the way, as you're finding your place in the text, let me just kind of let you know that um, starting next week, back by popular demand, so that your hands do not cramp every couple of moments as you're trying to take notes, we will have handwritten notes back available this upcoming Sunday. So amen. Praise God for that. All right. So that being said, look with me if you would, Deuteronomy chapter number six, verses four through nine. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your might. These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontals on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Heavenly Father, we ask today that you would allow the truths of your word to sink in. God, help us to be able to see from this text, what are the specific pieces that we can do that not only build in now, but also pieces that even if somebody has not put a plan like this in place, how do you develop it now when a child is maybe out of the home and they have children of their own? God, I pray that all the pieces would align this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. When I talk to Christian parents, the issue is rarely, should I disciple my kids? It's always how. Do I disciple my kids? We can look and see the value. We can look in Scripture and see that the God's Word is very clear on this topic. We can also see how putting in foundational truths at an early stage can lead to a lifetime of growth and enjoyment of walking with Jesus. The question is rarely, should I? The question is almost always, how do I? So to go through the how question you need to address the hurdles that stand in the way of discipleship in the home. And there's at least four. There's probably 14, but I'm going to give you at least four of them right now. Here they are. First is this. Time, what do I, or when do I do it? The next is going to be knowledge. What do I do? The next will be consistency. How do I do this regularly? And the next one is qualification. Am I really qualified to do this? Those are your four major hurdles right up front. Time, knowledge, consistency, qualification. And all of those hurdles are going to be addressed today as we get into this particular text. Now, I'm going to give you my big concept for this morning, but I want to also say this is not unique to me. This statement has been around for years, but it is very specific to the topic that we're addressing right now. Here's your big concept for this morning. We teach what we know we reproduce who we are. We teach what we know. We reproduce who we are. So when my girls were maybe two and three years old, we were in the car, myself and Bree in the front seat. The girls were in the back seat driving down a road. And all of a sudden, out of the middle of nowhere, somebody swerved in front of us. They slammed on the brakes, and we came to a screeching halt. And in that moment, from the back seat, in a car seat, Shana throws up her hands and says, come on, people, you're killing me back here. Where did you learn to drive? 
three years old. And I looked at Bria, and I'm thinking to myself, where did she get that from? And I told Bria, you're going to have to be careful about what you say, because our girls are listening to everything. <laughs> no, that, I'm kidding on that. That was not Bria. That was 100% a little Paul Godhart in the back seat. I, I mean, the, the timing, the head, I mean, she got it all. I'm still marginally impressed with what happened. All right, here's my point. Did you know I never taught her a single lesson on what do you do when somebody slams on the brakes in front of you? What do you say in that moment? Did you know every bit of what she did, she picked up by being with me and watching what I did? You teach what you know, you reproduce who you are. Now, the reason this is important is because a couple of weeks ago, I shared that the number one reason that high school students give for why they do not go back to church after graduating high school is God has never been real to my parents. They did not say we did not go to church. They did not say it's because my parents were not Christians. They did not say that we were not involved in church. They said God has never been real to my parents. That's the number one thing that they gave. Now, here's the connection here. A parent's spiritual journey is inextricably linked to their child's spiritual future. What happens with you will be played out in what happens with your kids. Your journey impacts them. So the reason I say that is because our discipleship plan has to flow out of who we are. That, that means before we kind of pull off to the side and we start to jot down a bunch of ideas on a legal pad and you kind of lay out your five-year plan and your 10-year plan and you get all your matchy-matchy alliterated points and, and you laminate everything and you're excited about all that, you need to stop first and go back and say, does this describe me? Because if I'm not living it, I'm not going to be able to transfer that. I might educate my kids. I'm not going to change their character in this. You've got to go back and say, is it me? Is this what is being lived out in my life? We teach what we know. We reproduce who we are. So in this, look at what it says in verses 4 through 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your might. These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your hearts. Now, Israel as a nation is being addressed in this text. It says, hear, O Israel. Look at back at what it says in verse number two. You'll find that these commands are coming from God, and here's the phrase, so that you and your son and your grandson might fear the Lord your God. Now, clearly, the audience that is being addressed here is that of adults. It says, you shall love the Lord your God. Who shall love? You. It says, these words I'm commanding you today, they shall be on your heart. On whose heart? On your heart. Now, these commands are given first to adults or to parents. How do you change the future generations of your family? It starts with you. You lead by example. It has to come out of who you are. You have to love God completely before them. You have to model it before them. Your kids and your grandkids should be able to look at their Christian predecessors and say, that's what it looks like to love God with all of my heart, mind, soul, and strength. That's coming back to you and I. We teach what we know. 
we reproduce who we are. Now that takes me to the first step in developing a discipleship plan within the family. Now, let me pause before I get to this step and say once again, the best time to develop your plan is before you have kids, okay? The reason I bring that up is because sometimes if somebody doesn't have children in the home, if they're not married at this point, they might think, this is not for me. No, this is wonderful in your life at this point in time. If you've got some kids that are in the home, praise the Lord. This is very pertinent to you. Even if the kids are out of the home, as a Christian, our job is not done at 18. It's not done when they're, they're getting married. Our job continues on until God calls you home. We, we keep on teaching and modeling for our kids and our grandkids and our great-grandkids. This is what it looks like to love God completely. So here's the first part of the plan. The discipleship plan should be personal. The command is given to parents before it's to be transferred to children. When you're living it, it naturally transfers. Over the years, myself and Bria, we'd always have our devotional time. I usually did mine earlier before uh, the girls and Bria were up. And Bria would do hers as the girls were getting up, usually a little bit just before then. And here's what we noticed. As our girls would see us reading the Bible, guess what they wanted? A Bible of their own. As they would watch us journaling our thoughts, guess what they wanted? They wanted a journal of their own. In other words, just by watching us, they're like, I want that in my life as well. Now, you've only got so many years of that opportunity, that window of time, but your kids are watching you. It, it's going to be personal. It has to flow out of who you are. Notice the number of times you and your are mentioned in this text. You shall teach them and talk of them. When you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontals on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Making disciples is personal. It is relational. You, you don't make disciples from a distance. You can educate from a distance. You make disciples up close and personal. It has to flow out of who you are. Now, this actually addresses the fourth hurdle of qualification. Am I really qualified to do this? Well, it all depends on how you define qualified. If you define qualified as knowing every truth and being faithful in every act and being perfect in every way, then no. None of us are qualified. But if you define qualified as someone who is pursuing Jesus, someone who has a heart to disciple their kids well, someone who is relying on the Holy Spirit to help them make that happen, then yes, you are qualified. In fact, you might be the most qualified person to teach your kids because they're in your home. Nobody else is going to love your kids more than you love them. Nobody else is going to be praying for them more faithfully than what you're going to be praying for them. Nobody else is going to be more concerned about their future than what you're going to be concerned about their future. It, it comes back to you. Yes, as a follower of Christ who is pursuing Jesus and, and desiring to disciple their kids and relying on the Holy Spirit, yes, you're qualified. God can use you in order to make an impact in their future. Now, next part of this is the discipleship plan should be focused. 
This point addresses the second hurdle, that of knowledge. What do I do? If you're a parent and you've ever been encouraged to have a devotional time at dinner with your kids, and all of a sudden you pull out your Bible, and you stare across the dining room table, and there's a bunch of little peepers staring at you on the other side, it can be intimidating. Like, where exactly do you start? Do you start in Genesis? Genesis is great. There's the creation account. There's animals. And, and there's Abraham. There's some good stories there. Or, or do you start in the New Testament? Do you start with Matthew? That sounds like a good place. Or, or how about the Gospel of John? I heard you start with John when beginning to disciple people. Or, or maybe you need to go through and you need to get into the life and the teachings of Jesus. That sounds like an appropriate place to begin. Or how about the book of Acts? That's where the church started. In fact, there's nothing that will impress your Christian friends more than you teaching your four-year-old about the development of the early church. <laughs> where do you start? See, that, that's the issue there. There seems like there's a lot of right places, but this actually gives you a really good hint as to where you start. Look with me at what it says in verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and all of your soul and all of your might. Here it is. These words, which I'm commanding you today, shall be on your heart. You shall teach them, that is those words, diligently to your sons. These words should be on your heart. In fact, it also says in the New Living Translation, it says, repeat them again and again to your children. Now, this text indicates that there are some concepts that need to be regularly repeated. The Jewish parents were to regularly teach that the Lord is our God, the Lord is one, and you're to love him completely. The Lord is our God, the Lord is one, you're to love him completely. Repeatedly teach that to your children over and over. Now, it's later on in the book of Matthew that you understand more of why those were so important. Because Jesus goes back and he says that that is the first and the greatest commandment. He says the second one is like the first, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And he says on these two hinge or depend the whole law and the prophets. In other words, if somebody is loving God completely and they're loving their neighbor as themselves, all the other pieces of the law will get worked out. So we can understand why those pieces were to be emphasized. But now, listen, here's a beautiful truth that we get from that. When developing a discipleship plan, all Scripture is equally inspired, but all Scripture is not equally emphasized. Okay, now i got to be careful here, otherwise I'll get myself in trouble. So listen to, listen to what I am not saying. I am not saying. I am not saying that you don't teach the whole counsel of God. I'm not saying that you don't encourage your children to learn it all and to study it all and to embrace it over the course of a lifetime. What I am saying is there are certain truths that need to be emphasized more and they need to be repeated more often. Think of it like this. If you've got one year to disciple a brand new believer, would you spend that year teaching them to know God and to love him or would you spend that year helping them decipher prophetic language in the book of Revelation? Which do you think is going to be more helpful in that time? So in this, it's not all Scripture is not equally inspired. It's there are certain parts that you emphasize again and again, developing a framework so that over the course of someone's life, they can continue to explore the depths of God's Word. Now in this, it takes you back to the idea of loving God. 
that is foundational in everything that happens in discipleship. In fact, one of the pieces I've been sharing multiple times in services is everything God desires to do in and through your life, he will accomplish out of the overflow of your relationship with him. It all goes back to this first relationship. Do you know him? Do you love him? Are you pursuing him completely with every part of your life? It flows out of relationship. Now, here's another part of that. Your relationship with God will never grow beyond your knowledge of God. Over time, you have to keep knowing him. Otherwise, you get to a place, it stops. Your development stops. So years ago, when my girls were really, really young, I sat down and I began to ask the question, what do I really want my girls to know and what do I want them, what do I want to teach them by the time they leave my house? Like if you can't teach everything and give it all the emphasis that is necessary, what are the things that I really want them to know? And I tried to prayerfully think through the truths that were age appropriate and those that lead to deep love of God and those that help provide a framework for a future life of walking with Jesus. I divided all of those truths down into three different groups. And the groups were early truths, developing truths, and long-term truths. Knowing that my girls might be in my house maybe around 18, 19, 20 years, I kind of felt like I had a window of time, if God gave that to me, to be able to help build a strong foundation, to build a framework that they could work from for the rest of their lives. Now, that did not mean I would not address some of the long-term truths at an earlier stage or some of the earlier truths at a later stage. It just meant that in this particular season of life, these were going to be truths that I emphasized again and again. Now, all of those, I also brought them back just for convenience sake, and I put them into what their life was kind of walking through within school. That is, I had some that were dealing with like preschool all the way through elementary. I had another group of truths that were kind of the middle school truths, and I had another group of truths that were kind of the high school truths. Now, all of these, once again, so that you don't have a hand cramp by the time you're done, is there's another handy-dandy handout that is going to be made available outside. And uh, so just so that you all know as well, last week I think we ran out of those in like 13 seconds. And a part of that is because I was teaching on discipline. I think some people said, uh, I know my kids, and I know my brother's kids, and I know my neighbor's kids. They need that. So people were getting like a stack of them right there. So if you would, we're trying to make them available. We'll maybe make sure everybody gets one this morning. Amen. <laughs> Y'all see how nicely I shared? Don't take the whole stack. I was working on that this last week. So here's my thing. All the way down through this list, it just kind of gives these are the truths that I emphasize. So here were the early truths. These are the ones we went through birth through fifth grade. God is the creator. God is trustworthy. God is sovereign. And yes, I put that word in early. I wanted my girls to recognize that God is all-powerful. He is completely in control, and it's all his. He rules and reigns over everything. So, yes, the word sounds big, but teach them the words early. They can handle it. The next is God is always present. God owns everything. God loves you. I began to share the gospel. Bria emphasized the gospel. Jesus is God. The Bible is God's word, and be thankful in all things. Those were the truths that we went back to again and again. I tried to put in truths that were easy to understand, that were complete statements, complete statements, 
and truths that could be built upon for years and years down the line. And the reason I did this is I could either say, we're going to talk about God's omnipresence. Okay, when they're five and six years old, I, I don't know if that's a word that's going to stick in their mind, but here's what they can remember. God is always present. Okay, so once they understand the statement, you can go back and teach the theology side on the other side, but they have to have the first basic idea. So we started with basic statements. Now here's the next one, developing truths. This was sixth through eighth grade. As our girls grew up and they faced different challenges, things like peer pressure and major decisions and testing boundaries and authority, I wanted to emphasize certain truths during that stage of their life because that's what they would naturally be walking through. So here's another one. We talked about the Bible contains the answers you need. Be careful about the friends you make. God has a plan for your life. Christianity is about relationship. We talked about relationship with God, relationship with the church, relationship with the world. Telling the truth shows integrity and character. Our habits become our lifestyle. Our lifestyle forms our character. Our character determines our future. Those were concepts we came back to again and again. Now, one of the reasons I wanted to build in truths like the Bible contains the answers you need, and I wanted it to be a statement that sat in their mind. I wanted it to be the time that when they're leaving our house and they're sitting listening to some college professor, and what that professor is saying is not lining up with the word of God. And they're like, I know that's wrong. I just don't know where to go. Here's what I wanted to go off in their mind. The Bible contains the answers you need. I wanted it to be sitting in there. So it's like a, an immediate response. When somebody says that this is how the world was created, I wanted them to have in their mind, God created everything. I, I wanted it to sit in their mind. So here's the long-term truths. This was from ninth through 12th grade. Following Jesus requires death to self. Following Jesus requires faith. God has gifted you to serve him. You need Christian community to reach your potential in Christ. Kingdom involvement begins locally and it reaches globally. Everything you do reflects upon Christ. And here's one that I got from Jerry Vines. As a Christian, you never have the right to be unkind. Okay, now, here's what we were doing. Every truth we were laying in helps lay a foundation for another truth that's going to be built upon that. But all of these had to be laid at different levels. That is, I could not effectively teach that Jesus and following Jesus requires death to self if they did not first understand God's love for them or that God has a plan for them or that they can trust him. That was a truth that I emphasized more the later it went. I wanted it to be that when they're in that difficult moment and they're having to choose between will I follow the world, will I follow the crowd, will I follow my own desires, I wanted them to know following Jesus requires death to self. Your kids can handle it. Some reason Christian parents are scared to death of giving their kids harder truths. Some reason they feel like if you don't make it so easy and so palatable, they're not going to embrace it. All I can say is the teenagers I'm talking to and those who've gone through their 20s and they're now out on their own, they're not upset because their parents gave them hard truths. They're upset because their parents didn't teach them anything. 
And by the time they're getting there, they're now saying, I'm not prepared to walk as a faithful follower of Christ in this world. I needed to have learned this when I was in my dad's house. I needed to learn this when I could talk to him across a dining room table. I needed to learn this early on before I made 50 other mistakes. Your kids can handle it. Give it to them. That's going to be my rally cry. Give it to them. Whether or not that's discipline, give it to them. Whether or not that is discipleship, give it to them. Yeah, yeah, they can handle it. So on each of these, the concepts will become harder. Now here's the point I'm trying to make. All of these pieces provided foundational truths for them to live on. They naturally led into deeper truths down the road. We still walk through scripture together, discipleship resources, apologetics arguments, issues they were facing in school, what was happening within culture. We still had all of those conversations as well. The issue was they now had a framework to process those conversations. If they don't know that the Bible is God's word and they don't spend time in the word, you are beating your head against the wall to try to give them a biblical worldview. They don't even have the concept of that without teaching people about God's character, his love, and about the gospel. They might walk away with religion. They don't walk away with relationship. My goal was not to teach them everything by the time they were 18. My goal was to help lay a strong foundation so that they could spend a lifetime pursuing and exploring the depths of God's word and what it looks like to walk with Jesus. So here's the next one. These move pretty quickly. A discipleship plan should be multifaceted. Now, this actually addresses the first and third hurdle, and that is one of time and consistency. The approach that's mentioned in Deuteronomy chapter 6 is not discipleship via a family devotion time, which I'm not opposed to that. We've had many family devotion times sitting down at dinner each evening, going through God's word, talking about these concepts. I think that is great. But as life gets busier and you got more kids involved and there's travel and there's work and there's all these things, if you're only trying to disciple them in a family devotional time, uh, you're going to be in trouble. What you're seeing in this, this is as you live discipleship. Talk to them about it when they wake up. Talk about it when you travel. Talk about it when you go to bed at night. Put it on the doorpost of your house. By the way, post this on your gate. Like, in other words, the focus is keep these ideas constantly in front of your kids. Every opportunity you have, let them see these same truths. Now, the issue here is we might not be able to have a devotional time as a family every single night. I, I am one of those types of people, if I start something and it doesn't go perfectly, I get discouraged and I get mad and I get irritated and there's nothing that will get in the way of you discipling your kids more and saying, you all just sit down and listen as I share something. <laughs> Shh, stop talking. I'm trying to dispense my wisdom to you. Get it together, kids. Okay, if you don't have a way to adjust with what's going on in life, you're going to miss it. So even though I didn't get a chance to always sit down and do that, and we did a lot of those, here's the thing. Bria did an amazing job every night as she would spend time with the girls and say, what's God done today? What can we talk about? What can we praise him for? What can we pray about that's happening in your life? 
We would teach them when you're sitting down, you're having a meal together. We, we would teach certain things. We'd go on a vacation. We're out hiking. That was a time we would emphasize God is the creator. Do you see everything around you? God created what you're looking at right now. When we gave them an allowance when they were little, we'd give them money, and we would at the same time say, God owns it. And we begin to teach about tithing and about giving and about the principles. We give them 50 cents when they started out, and I'd break it down, and I'd give them two dimes and a nickel, and I'd give them another quarter on the side right there. And here's what we do. We'd say, God owns it all, but this is a part of giving. And we would teach at an early stage. The issue is all through life, there's those opportunities. Here's the next one. That is, a discipleship plan should have the end in mind. First several verses in chapter 6, it's Moses basically saying that God has given these commands for you and for your kids so that when you go into the land, you're going to be able to go in right. He's sharing the end result. That is, his teaching is to produce a specific result on the other side. When you enter the land, here's how you live right in the land. Now, how does that apply to us? As a parent or a future parent, we need to ask these questions. Who do I want my kids to be and what do I want my kids to know by the time they leave my house? When they are out inheriting the land on their own, what kind of kids do I want to send out the door? What kind of thoughts do I want them to have? You you write those pieces out and then you plan backwards from there. Uh, To this day, my prayer sheet over top of my girls is based on things I laid out when they were maybe three months old for Shana and before Kaylee was ever born. And I said, this is what I'm wanting as far as in our girls as they leave. And that's where I began to pray, and that's what we began to move towards. To this day, I'm still praying over these specific things. By the way, when you know what you're trying to produce, it helps you pray specifically. Hey, write it down and plan with the end in mind. Go backwards into that. Now let's tie all of this together. We teach what we know, we reproduce who we are. We may have a lot of great ideas to teach our kids, but it first has to flow out of who we are as individuals. you got to live your faith before your kids. When you're developing a discipleship plan, remember, it needs to be personal, it needs to be focused. Multifaceted is what you find over in Deuteronomy chapter 6, and one that's planning with the end in mind. With our children, They're not always going to believe or act in the way that we taught them. But I'm going to give you a reality check right here. We don't always believe and act in a way that we've been taught either. We can't blame that on our kids and like, well, I tried my best. Well, people have been training you too. (laughs) And sometimes we don't live up to the knowledge of God's word that we know. The issue is, where do you start right now? The issue is, at this point, what are the next steps that can be Share. Walk faithfully. Walk prayerfully. Walk intentionally. Start with where you are and ask God, how do I make the best of the moment that I'm in? There is hope in what God can do. Ask God, what are the things getting in the way of me being able to intentionally disciple my family? Let him reveal it and then say, God, how do I need to remove what needs to be removed so that you can live through me fully in this moment? All of that is directed back towards the very end. Remember the focus that that they're being told that they needed to have? Here's what you teach them. The Lord is our God. The Lord is one. And you're to love him completely. And you're to live that before your kids. It all comes out 
of a love relationship with God. So let me ask you, how's your love relationship with God today? Are you absolutely sure that you are in an intimate relationship with God through Jesus Christ? Are you positive that what has been implanted in you is being lived out in your life? You teach what you know, you reproduce who you are. I'm going to ask you, if you would, to bow with me for a word of prayer. His heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Our band is going to be moving towards the front and taking their place. I want to bring it back to where all of that flows out of. A statement that I, I go back to over and over is everything flows out of an intimate relationship with God. And this is no different. Our parenting flows out of an intimate relationship with God. It has to be what God is doing in us is what God is living through us. So this morning, I just want to ask, this is between you and God. That is, ask God, do I actually have a relationship with you? Or is it something that has been, I've been in church, but I've never really had a relationship. I've got knowledge of the Bible, but I don't have a relationship with God. I have religious actions that I go through, but I can't tell you the last time that I feel like I've been able to, to be with God and hear from him and God move and change and work in my life. I, I don't know what that looks like. If that's the case, I want to encourage you today to make sure that that relationship is set. Our pastors are going to be at the end of each of these different aisles. There might be people today that they just say, I just need to talk with someone and somebody to pray with me. I, I'm working through some issues in my life. I don't know what the next step needs to be. Maybe you just want to come and just say, would you pray with me over this? Or maybe you've been looking for a church home and you feel like this is a place that aligns with what God has been laying into your heart. It might be that, like those that you saw earlier in the service, it might be that you have placed faith in Jesus, but you've never been baptized after salvation and by immersion. And you know that that needs to happen. Come talk to one of the pastors on that today. I recognize that as I continue to teach these different services on, on family and on discipleship, I, I recognize there's weight in that. I recognize that some of these are harder to receive than others. I recognize that when a lot of these teachings are brought before the eyes of parents and grandparents, you can look back and say, I wish I'd have done things different. I don't share the messages to condemn. I share the messages in order to give hope for where you are now and what God can be doing 10 years from now and 20 years from now. Now's the time that you address those things. However God is leading, I ask that you would respond to him. Heavenly Father, we ask today that by your spirit, you would continue to encourage parents. Those who desire to develop a discipleship plan, God, help them to have wisdom as they develop it. God, those who they feel like they miss some key moments, God, speak grace into their heart. Encourage them today. Lord, help us to walk faithfully with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand as we sing?